What's up, everybody? How you doing? Welcome back to the show. It's time for a brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America, and hope you guys all had a great holiday season. I uh, hope uh, you're all excited for the coming new year, 2022. So seems like out of a futuristic movie or something. Maybe I just feel that way because I'm old. But anyway, um, so yeah, I hope uh, hope everyone had a great holiday season. Saw some family, saw some friends, probably had some drinks, got some gifts, some presents, right? Spending some quality time with your family. Hope, uh, hopefully nobody had any crazy uh, tense conversations about politics or COVID or, uh, you know, masking up in people's houses. What's the etiquette now? You gotta, you know, sign like a waiver before you meet with human beings. Uh, is that what the future is going to be like? <laughs> uh, are you vaccinated? Yes. Okay, sign here and here and initial here. <laughs> oh boy what a world the future is going to be crazy today's episode i think i'm going to call the episode today the future is crazy and we're going to talk about a lot of crazy stuff that i have been reading about that is coming coming over the horizon i can see it I can see it coming over the horizon, en route to the present day. The future is going to be crazy, people, and we're going to talk a little bit today about some stuff that's coming in the future that, uh, I don't know, I mean, it's scary to me, it's frightening, it's exciting, it's interesting, it's intriguing, and you know, you guys can be the judge. Well, we're going to talk about the metaverse today. We're going to talk about Elon Musk and Neuralink and some other stuff. But I want to start the show today just by kind of going over some general thoughts. I'm going to read some quotes. I'm going to kind of just uh, bring back up what we have recently been over in the past few episodes. Um, the episode I did about... There being no end in sight to the pandemic, and the one I did about no particular place to go, talking about it's going to take blood, sweat, and tears uh, to achieve our goals, and some of the things that have been happening in the media lately have been very validating to my always consistent points and themes here on the show. And in that kind of realm of thinking... I want to kind of remind you about some of the stuff that I've been talking about in the previous podcast right now. Uh, if you are a new listener, if you haven't listened to my previous podcast, that's okay. These are kind of general just thoughts. Just kind of, a, you know, we're just going to kind of do a little pondering, a little thought exercise. You know, just to kind of get the uh, neurons firing up there. Okay. Okay, so here's a quote from Marcus Aurelius. And this kind of uh, speaks to that gentleman that uh, I read his critique of my show in the previous episode. Uh, take a listen to this. So, if someone can prove me wrong and show me my mistake in any thought or action, 
I shall gladly change. I seek the truth, which never harmed anyone. The harm is to persist in one's own self-deception and ignorance. Unquote. That's Marcus Aurelius. Um, I like that. I like that. Here's a little quote by John Lennon. I believe in God, but not as one thing. Not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have gone wrong. Mm. I love that. Soren Kierkegaard, quote, A fire broke out backstage in a theater. The clown came out to warn the public. They thought it was a joke and applauded. He repeated it. The acclaim was even greater. I think that's just how the world will come to an end. To general applause from wits who believe it's a joke. Unquote. <laughs> uh, Terrence McKenna, quote, We are led by the least among us. The least intelligent, the least noble, the least visionary. We are led by the least among us, and we do not fight back against the dehumanizing values that are handed down as control icons. Unquote. Mm. That's good. To improve your mood, exercise. To think more clearly, Meditate. To understand the world, read. To understand yourself, write. To help people, help yourself. To learn faster, have fun. So there's some positive, nice little thoughts. I wanted to run by you guys. And now let's take a turn to some other stuff I wanted to talk about. I recently read this on the Liberty Vault page on Instagram. And they are saying this. Arguably the most pernicious and prolific disseminator of organized disinformation campaigns is NBC News, which includes its cable unit, MSNBC. We have spent the last several months working on a mini-documentary demonstrating how most of the coordinated lies from the United States security state were spread by a tiny handful of pundits, talking heads, three of whom... Get ready for this. Rachel Maddow, who they say is all but an official CIA spokesperson. <laughs> K 
Ken Delanian, former Bush Cheney spokesperson, Nicole Wallace, who all work for NBC News. That report will be published shortly. But this week, they are going to be producing a video dissecting these issues. Uh, somebody tagged Glenn Greenwald in here. I don't know if he's involved or not, but mm, I'm telling you, people, I've been saying it on this podcast since episode one. These five major media corporations that control all the news and information that we get to hear are fucking lying to you. They they have a PR wire, people. Big government and big business tell the media what to tell you. Objective reporting is a thing of the past. If you want real news, real journalism, real investigative reporting, you're going to have to go to alternative media. That's how far the mainstream media has degenerated since the days of Murrow and Rather. And I don't even know, I'm not even really that sure about Dan Rather, but Edward R. Murrow, Walter Cronkite, that was the end of real news, man, people. That's, the re that's another reason why I love that TV show from HBO, Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom, with uh, Jeff Daniels doing uh, Will McAvoy. I mean, just a fantastic fictional expose of what the media is and what it's supposed to do and what its function in our society is supposed to be. And I wanted to I wanted to let you guys know about something else that's going on too. Your beloved President Obama, when he passed the NDAA, I recently realized that there was a provision in the National Defense Authorization Act that included an amendment, or the newest version of the NDAA, NDAA now includes an amendment that would, quote, legalize the use of propaganda on the American public, unquote, reports Michael Hastings of BuzzFeed. He is saying that this amendment pr was proposed by Mac Thornberry, Republican from Texas, and Adam Smith, Democrat, Washington, passed in the House last Friday afternoon, would effectively nullify the Smith-Munt Act of 1948, which, here we go, explicitly forbids information and psychological operations aimed at influencing United States public opinion. <laughs> we all know that the intelligence communities have been behind controlling what we get to hear about the world and what we get to learn, right? So ever since Operation Mockingbird, I've been talking about it on this podcast at length. I think it's funny that finally now, after we know that they've been involved for years and years and years and years with the movies, the TV shows, the propaganda, the manipulation, the you know monarch mind control operations, etc., etc., etc. Right, so I wanted to do a little research on the Smith Munt Act of 1948 because apparently uh, there's a Smith Munt Act, Smith Munt Act modernization, quote unquote, Act of 2012 that Obama altered apparently. 
uh, and I think that's what made it uh, possible for them to start running psychological operations and propaganda campaigns here in the United States. You know, we brought Nazi scientists over from Germany after World War II, and I'm sure we learned a thing or two from them. So let's take a little trip down uh, this route real quick. Let's talk about this Smith-Munt Act, okay? So... Uh, I looked it up. It's pretty extensive. There's a lot involved in it. So I'm just going to kind of read through the Wikipedia part here. And then <clears throat> we're going to talk real quick about the 1948 Act and what it was supposed to be. And then we're going to talk about what Obama did to it in 2012. Okay, so here we go. The U.S. Information and Educational Exchange Act of 1948, popularly called, popularly called the Smith-Munt Act. The act was first introduced by Congressman Carl Munt in January 1945, right after World War II, in the 79th Congress, it was subsequently passed by the 80th Congress, passed into law by Harry S. Truman, January 27, 1948. The act was developed to regulate broadcasting of programs for foreign audiences produced under the guidance of the State Department and it prohibited domestic dissemination of materials produced by such programs as one of its provisions. So that basically means that they were making propaganda, but they couldn't run it on you, the American people, because of this act. So, hmm, if you wanted to start running propaganda campaigns on your own people, you're probably going to have to legally change this act, aren't ya? Yeah. So let's move on. Let's continue. The original version of the act was amended by the Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012, which allowed for materials produced by the State Department and the Broadcasting Board of Governors to be disseminated, also known as widely spread within the United States. Materials produced by the State Department people. <laughs> Oof. I wish I was making this stuff up, my fellow Americans. I really what? I really do. I really wish I was making it up. I really wish this wasn't the real world. I wish. I wish. I wish. Wish in one hand, shit in the other. See which one gets filled first, right? Here we go. Origins of the bill. The original legislation authorized the U.S. State Department to communicate to audiences outside of the borders of the United States through broadcasting, face-to-face -face contacts, exchanges, including educational, cultural, and technical, the publishing of books, magazines, media of, of communication, and engagement. Funding for these activities comes from other legislation passed by Congress called appropriations. The legislation was introduced in the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, January 1945. It was modified a few months later through request of the State Department. <laughs> mm -hmm. The bill was reintroduced to State Department's requests and renamed the Bloom Bill after the committee's chairman, uh, Sol Bloom. The purpose was to make permanent various exchange activities and some, uh, some information programs such as books and other printed material, President Truman's dissolution of the Office of War Information included moving substantial OWI programs over to the State Department, including a radio broadcast operation, a radio broadcast operation, not yet commonly known as the Voice of America. The Bloom Bill was altered and reintroduced in 45. 
to include the substantial information programs from OWI, notably the libraries, etc., etc., etc. Okay. Uh, it was reintroduced yet again in December of 45, H.R. 4982, whereas the uh, previous iterations amended pre-war legislation from 39 authorizing exchanges in the American republics, plus uh, the Philippines. This time was a standalone, and it also introduced the uh, radio operation. The language shall disseminate abroad. Found in the early versions was a specific authority requested by the State Department to permit it to operate globally. Oh, boy. Okay, so let's move on. That's just a brief overview of what it was intended to do and why it needs to change in order for the big club to get what they want. Right? So here we go. Here's H.R. 5736, the Smith-Munt Modernization Act, 2012. And it's pretty much going to say the same thing. This was uh, President Obama's doing. Amends, here we go, Smith Modernization Act of 2012 amends the United States Information and Educational Exchange Act of 48 to authorize the Secretary of State and the Broadcasting Board of Governors to provide for the preparation, dissemination of information, preparation and dissemination of information intended for foreign audiences abroad here in the United States, including about its people, its history, and the federal government's policies through press, publications, radio, motion pictures, the internet, and other information media, including social media and through information centers and instructors. Under current law, such authority is restricted to information disseminated abroad with a limited domestic exception. Meaning, whenever they want to run a program or a campaign, a psyop on you, my fellow Americans, they can do it legally now, thanks to the NDAA. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. And now apparently they just passed this one, nullifying the Smith-Munt Act, which explicitly for, forbade, forbids information and psychological operations to be aimed at influencing United States public opinion. So now they went from modernizing it in 2012 to amending it and nullifying it as of last week, allegedly according to this report, my fellow Americans. It's coming. It's coming. The brave new Orwellian world police surveillance state totalitarian dictatorship. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to take a break. And when I get back, we're going to talk about how the future is gonna be crazy here on the politics and punk rock podcast this episode is brought to you by shopify 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, people, welcome back. Uh, I just saw this. This was put out by Mainstream Misinformation on Instagram. And I think I think this is from the World Health Organization. I don't know. Uh, this is from a uh, uh, reporter named Bruno Macias. And I don't know what publication he's writing for. But take a listen to this, people. Only surveillance can save us from coronavirus is the headline. <laughs> oh, man. Big data offers tools to stop the pandemic right now. If we, quote, change our definition of privacy, unquote. Uh, wow. Are you fucking kidding me, people? I'm telling you. I wish I was wrong. I wish I was getting this stuff wrong. I really do. I really do. I wish someone could come and say, you know what, Andrew? You're a conspiracy theorist. Everything that you've been saying on your on your show is bullshit. I really wish that were the case. I wish like someone would come through the door and be like, hey man, I don't know what you're doing, but you're just you're peddling fiction. Not to steal the title of uh the Gentile Johnny Profita's podcast. But which you guys should all go check out, by the way. Uh Peddling Fiction Podcast, great podcast. But, I mean, people. And then here's what the caption says. It says, we're being conditioned to accept a brutal medical pharmaceutical government surveillance state, all planned long before coronavirus and will be permanent, I'm sure. We should totally not do this. (laughs) Oh, boy. I mean, people, it is getting ridiculous out there. Okay, I mean, seriously, right now I got so much stuff to cover you guys, I could do probably a 10 hour long super show right now. I'm not going to do that, we're just going to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the outline, I'm going to stick to the outline, I'm not going to get too far off track, I'm not going to freak out man, and do what everybody thinks I'm going to do. <laughs> oh man. I'm telling you, this TV show, Reality, I've been watching, can't beat it. Can't beat it. It's the best show I've ever seen in my life. This show that I like to call Reality. Recently, on this show, Reality, that I've been watching since I came into this world, there's a gentleman by the name of Joe Rogan. And I hate that I'm I'm talking about Joe Rogan yet again on my show, but God damn it, how can I not talk about this? He recently had a gentleman by the name of Peter A. McCullough, Doctor Peter A. McCullough, on his show. And if you have not seen this spread around on social media, if you haven't, I think it's being. Uh, censored on YouTube and some of the major players. You probably got to go to Rumble 
or to some offshoot uh, whatever site to get the full thing. If you're not a Spotify uh, subscriber, uh, I think that's where Joe Rogan's podcasts, you can find them in their entirety. Uh, pretty much is the only place now is Spotify because of that huge deal that he signed with them. But anyway, I I listened to this entire thing. Majority of it. I, I mean, I, I listened to enough to get the point. And I just want to go over my notes from this podcast. I'm not going to play any of it, no clips uh, on this show, because I, I think it's not doing it justice. You guys have to go watch this podcast from start to finish. I forget what the episode number is, but it's Joe Rogan Joe Rogan with Dr. Peter A. McCullough, okay? Here's a few things that this gentleman, and I, you know, and I recently posted on the social medias, uh, Dr. Peter A. McCullough didn't kill himself. <laughs> because what this guy unloaded on us, on the millions of people that follow and listen to Joe Rogan, uh... I would venture a guess that this guy might have a target on his back after what he said on this podcast. It's that explosive. And I highly recommend you all go listen to it. But here we go. I'm going to go over just a few of the key points. Uh, So one of the most interesting things that I heard in this podcast is Dr. McCullough actually mentioned Dr. Zelenko and the Zelenko Protocol. Do you remember when I told you guys, uh, Dr. Zelenko being the crazy Jewish guy that said he called the vaccine the, quote, poison death shot, unquote? He theorized that in the next 10, 20 years, everybody that got vaccinated is going to drop dead for one reason or another. I mean, terrifying stuff, right? Don't know if it's true, but so this Dr. Peter McCullough, who is a name in the business like he isn't some fly you know flash in the pan doctor that is just some crackpot that's making all these crazy claims this guy's entrenched deep uh his resume precedes him you can't take anything this guy says away from him and that's why i think he's in probably big trouble (laughs) i'm telling you if the intelligence community doesn't jfk this guy i will be very very surprised So he talks about Dr. Zelenko and hydrochloroquine being a fantastic anti-inflammatory that treated in a cocktail of drugs with zinc. Like I said before, zinc, uh, it it reacts with RNA in your cells and helps this uh, preventative prophylactic do do its work. Dr. Zelenko treated over 7,000 patients successfully, including President Donald Trump. You think there's not a concerted effort to keep this stuff quiet? I mean, oh my God, people. So Dr. McCullough goes on. He says that he can prove that there was collusion within the FDA to block hydroxychloroquine despite it having positive results from the extensive trials that they have been doing over multiple trials. Multiple people, multiple parts of the world are all submitting all this research to a database that can be farmed in order to discover ways to treat this virus. And apparently it's been squashed silenced. They put the kibosh on it. They funneled all of these organizations in the pharmaceutical and medical game 
And they, they funneled all of their, how we're going to treat this into just get the vaccine. Just go get vaccinated, people. Don't worry about healthier, more holistic treatments. Don't worry about cocktails of drugs that were used and proven to be effective. That we actually have peer-reviewed evidence in journals on right now as we speak. You hear them talking about that in the mainstream media, people? Uh-uh. You're going to have to go to alternative media. This is a perfect example of my point. Joe Rogan's not a reporter. He's just a guy with a podcast. And you can hate, love him or hate him. You can call him a meathead idiot, whatever. You can, you can p- be pissed off at him because of his professed or assumed political affiliation. I don't give a shit. If you try to take anything that this guy has said about this coronavirus and the treatments for coronavirus since he started doing his own investigations, I'm sorry to tell you, you're just not paying attention. You're just not listening. You have cognitive dissonance. You aren't allowing the information in. This is very real-world compelling stuff that I think is very important. That's why I'm talking about it on my show. He said that there was no reports of drug efficacy progress, although there was progress. He said that right now, did you know this, my fellow Americans? There's an oral antiviral drug that is approved and being used in Japan and Russia right now. Anybody told you about that oral antiviral here in the United States that we could be using instead of the vaccine? You guys ever hear about that yet on your mainstream media news networks? Bet you haven't. He says, Dr. Peter A. McCullough says, he believes that this isn't just an American conspiracy. This is a world conspiracy. Powerful forces. Uh, Bill Gates, World Health Organization. Gavi, etc., etc., etc. All involved. I, I played in the episode, There's Something About Billy, where all the people that used to work for him and Tedros and Plotkin at the World Health Organization all had similar uh, things to say about him. They said that they claimed Bill Gates was trying to buy his way into the World Health Organization as a nation state, one man buying his way in as a nation state. Oh my God, people. You know, uh, Dr. McCullough said, how come we haven't seen any multi-drug treatment studies? How come nobody wants to fund the studies that have been, they've already shown to be effective? No one, nobody's trying to tell you that, my fellow Americans. They even went so far as to publish fraudulent papers. And McCullough thinks that this is part of the reason why he feels there was a coordinated effort amongst multinational organizations in order to silence the treatment of coronavirus that exists in reality. But you're not supposed to know that. You're supposed to go get a vaccine, and then another one, and another one. It's like DJ Khaled wants you guys to get vaccines, and another one. (laughs) Dr. McCullough goes on to say that there was actually enthusiasm and hubris uh, for the vaccines. People were so excited that, like, not only did they dive headfirst into the pushing of the vaccines on through all these organizations, 
but there was hubris and enthusiasm about it. Uh, there's questions about the timeline when some of this stuff was uh, shut down or pushed forward. Um, Dr. McCullough goes on to say that he thinks that this was a big, and he uses an Orwellian term. He says it's a group think exercise in mass psychosis. And him and Rogan go on, uh, Rogan's interested in this mass psychosis um, claim by Dr. McCullough. Uh, he says, they both say that, you know, hey, is this, do you believe that this is uh, going to be used to roll out even more authoritarianism worldwide? And they agree on that. They say it's a combination of, you know, Stockholm Syndrome and this continued fear-based campaign that they're just pumping out fear and there's just all this anxiety and you know human nature dictates that a, a person under these certain conditions are very easily swayed easily turned easily uh thirsty and starving and reaching out for help in order to find some type of calm and normalcy in their lives and when you add it all up Dr. Peter McCullough says, in his expert opinion, this entire campaign from Wuhan lab to Omicron variant and to a, the need for a third or fourth and maybe even more booster shots, the silencing of the prophylactic and the preventative measures that have been used and are proven to be effective was all by design. Maybe, just maybe, my fellow Americans, this was a planned demic. Not to go QAnon conspiracy theorist on you. Not to go follow the cabal on you. But now we have experts in the field who have found their balls and their courage and their dignity and think that they're doing what they should be doing and coming forward and speaking out and blowing the whistle. I don't know what to say about this stuff anymore, people. It's becoming so painfully obvious to me that this entire situation is probably one of the most unbelievably genocidal maniac you know operations that has ever been perpetrated on not only the american people but the world this is this is nazi germany and the concentration camps outsourced from germany to the world in china actually <laughs> In Russia, I guess, if you want to throw the gulags in there. Apparently there's a book out called COVID-19, The Global Predators, and We Are the Prey, that Dr. McCullough brings up. He said that 85% of the early on drugs that could have been prevented, uh, I'm sorry, he said that 85% of the early on symptoms uh, and causes of death, dead on arrivals, could have been prevented with this cocktail of drugs that he and Dr. Zelenko and other experts in the field have been using and trying to 
sound the alarm and get this information into people's ears that hey, we can treat this. We don't you don't need to get vaccinated. And they're getting censored, silenced. Zuckerberg's in on it. Uh, Dorsey was probably in on it. The guy that runs YouTube in on it. I wish I was making this stuff up, people. I really do. I really do. Last episode, I uh, you know I talked to you guys and I played some clips about that show while the rest of us die on Vice TV right now. Um, they have another episode. I think the second episode is called Pandemic Profiteers. Um, and they say that hydrochloroquine, hydrochloroquine was tested on veterans. And I think part of the reason why I may have some um, protection against this virus, I have not got coronavirus yet, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Uh, every, I mean, pretty much everyone I know in my life has had it. Some people that I know in my life have had it more than once. And I still haven't got it. And I don't know. Uh, I got a question for all you veterans out there. Remember when we went to boot camp and they shot us up with 16,000 different shots? Remember the pressure, like water pressure gun shot that they gave you? Wasn't even a needle. <laughs> Oof. I wonder if that was hydrochloroquine. I wonder if that was a malaria medication that they gave some of us veterans in the event that we go to places in this world with malaria. I actually visited Eritrea on the east coast of Africa on one of my deployments. I wonder if I was shot up in the arm with an anti-malaria drug, maybe even hydrochloroquine. Who knows? But I have been vaccinated and I have yet to contract the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So, yeah, maybe I just jinxed myself by saying that, but I don't know. Who knows, right? Anyway, I wanted to recommend that. You guys should go check out that entire series, While the Rest of Us Die, uh, inspired by the Garrett Graff book, uh, Raven Rock. I highly recommend you guys go take a look at that stuff. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so today's episode is entitled The Future is Crazy. And I'm going to read a series of articles to you now that I think illustrate this point quite well. <laughs> so here we go. This article is, is, here's the caption. New hypothesis argues that the universe simulates itself into existence. A physics paper proposes neither you nor the world around you are real. <laughs> so I know I just got done talking about this, you know, the best show I've ever seen in my life is reality because I can't believe how much crazy shit is happening in reality right now. Well, this article is from the Quantum Gravity Institute. And here are some of its key takeaways. Uh... A new hypothesis says the universe self-simulates itself in a strange loop. A paper from the Quantum Gravity Research Institute proposes there is an underlying pan-consciousness. The work looks to unify insight from quantum mechanics with a non-materialistic perspective. And then here's the article. How real are you? And, you know, this reminds me, you know, Matrix, the new Matrix 4 movie's coming out soon. I can't wait to see it. So before I get into this article, start thinking about the Matrix people, because that, that's pretty much what this article is alluding to 
but not in some fictional motion picture. This is reality, or maybe it's not reality. <laughs> maybe there's no such thing as reality, according to this. So here we go. How real are you? What if everything you are, everything you know, all the people in your life, as well as all the events, were not physically there, but just a very elaborate simulation? Philosopher Nick Bostrom famously considered this in his seminal paper, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation?, where he proposed that all of our existence may be just a product of very sophisticated computers simulations ran by advanced beings whose real nature we may never be able to know. Now a new theory has come along that takes a step takes it a step further. What if there are no advanced beings either and everything in reality is a self simulation that generates itself from pure thought. And before I go on, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, I can't remember, but there's been philosophers and physicists uh, that I've heard in the past say that, you know, there's there's only such a small level of frequency that we can tune in on. There's only so much of the color spectrum that the human eye can see. So how much is really going on around us that we're not even conscious or aware of? What if your ability to use your five senses to process the universe. Maybe that's what our role in the universe is, is for us to be able to self-reflect and reason and process information, etc. Okay, I know it's deep stuff, but we're going deep, people. The future is crazy. Here we go. The physical universe is a strange loop says the new paper titled The Self-Simulation Hypothesis Interpretation of Quantum Mechanics (laughs) from the team at Quantum Gravity Research, a Los Angeles-based theoretical physics institute founded by the scientist and entrepreneur Clee Irwin. They take Bostrom's simulation hypothesis, which maintains that all of reality is an extremely detailed computer program, and ask, rather than relying on advanced life forms to create the amazing technology necessary to compose everything within our world, isn't it more efficient to propose that the universe itself is a mental self-simulation? They tie this idea to quantum mechanics, seeing the universe as one of many possible quantum gravity models. One important aspect that differentiates this view relates to the fact that Bostrom's original hypothesis is materialistic, seeing the universe as inherently physical. To Bostrom, we could simply be part of an ancestor simulation engineered by post-humans. Even the process of evolution itself could just be a mechanism by which the future beings are testing countless processes, purposefully moving humans through levels of biological and technological growth. In this way, they also generate the supposed information or history of our world. Ultimately, we wouldn't know the difference. But where does the physical reality that would generate the, uh, the simulations come from? Wonder the researchers. Their hypothesis takes a non-materialistic approach, saying that everything is information expressed as thought. 
As such, the universe self-actualizes itself into existence, relying on underlying algorithms and a rule they call the principle of efficient language. Under this proposal, the entire simulation of everything in existence is just one grand thought. How would the simulation itself be originated? It was always there, says the researchers, explaining the concept of timeless emergentism. So constantly emerging, I guess is what that means. According to this idea, time isn't there at all. Instead, the all-encompassing thought that is our reality offers a nested semblance of a hierarchical order, full of sub-thoughts that reach all the way down the rabbit hole towards the base mathematics and fundamental particles. This is also where the rule of effect it, oh, I'm sorry. This is also where the rule of efficient language comes in, suggesting that humans themselves are such emergent sub-thoughts and they experience and find meaning in the world through other sub-thoughts called code steps or actions in the most economical fashion. In correspondence with Big Think, physicist David Chester elaborated, while many scientists presume materialism to be true, we believe that quantum mechanics may provide hints that our reality is a mental construct. Recent advances in quantum gravity, such as seeing space-time emergent via a hologram, also is a hint that space-time is not fundamental. This is also compatible with ancient Hermetic and Indian philosophies. In a sense, the mental construct of reality creates space-time to efficiently understand itself by creating a network of subconscious entities that can interact and explore the totality of possibilities. The scientists linked their hypothesis panpsychism, which says everything at which sees everything as thought or consciousness, the authors think that their panpsychic self-simulation model can even explain the origin of an overarching pan-consciousness at the foundational level of the simulations, which self-actualizes itself in a strange loop via self-simulation. Oh, boy. This pan-consciousness also has free will and its various nested levels essentially having the ability to select what code to actualize while making syntax choices. The goal of this consciousness to generate meaning or information. And I bet people this is what they're going to be doing with AI, if I had to guess. Does, you know, does art imitate life? Or is it life that imitates art? Is reality a thing, or is all of this just fantasy? Are we existential? Are we a chance occurrence that just so happened to occur in the universe? Or do we really have the power to create, to bring things into life and into reality with the power of our minds? I find this stuff to be quite fascinating. 
Let's continue. If all of this is hard to grasp, the authors offer another interesting idea that may link your everyday experience to these philosophical considerations. Think of your dreams as your own personal self-simulations, postulates this team. While they are rather primitive by super-intelligent future AI standards, dreams tend to provide better resolution than current computer modeling and are a great example of the evolution of the human mind. As the scientists write, what is most remarkable is the ultra-high fidelity resolution of these mind-based simulations and the accuracy of the physics therein. They point especially to lucid dreams, where the dreamer is aware of being in a dream, as instances of very accurate simulations created by your mind that may be impossible to distinguish from any other reality. To that end, now that you're sitting here reading this article, how do you really know you're not in a dream? The experience seems very high in resolution, but so do some dreams. It's not too much of a reach to imagine that an extremely powerful computer that we may be able to make in not too distant future, in the not too distant future, could duplicate this level of detail. And people, I talked about the movie Waking Life in a previous podcast, a Richard Linklater film. It is fantastic. It is uh, psychedelically animated. And it's the story of the kid uh, from the movie Dazed and Confused, the the young, long-haired, brown-haired boy whose um, older sister kind of takes him under her wing and he gets his ass kicked by uh, all the older senior high guys, football team, etc. If you haven't seen the movie, sorry. Spoiler alert. Anyway, that kid's the star of Waking Life, and the entire theme of the movie is he can't tell if he's in reality or if he's in a dream. It is trippy AF, and I love it. I think you guys should all go check it out. Waking Life. Great movie. Let's continue and end this article. So, the team also proposes that in the coming years, we will be able to create designer consciousnesses for ourselves as advancements in gene editing could allow us to make our own mind simulations much more powerful. We may also see minds emerging that do not require matter at all. Can we download consciousness? Can we live forever? Transhumanism? It's coming, people! While some of these ideas are certainly controversial in the mainstream science circles, Klee and his team respond that we must critically think about consciousness and certain aspects of philosophy that are uncomfortable subjects to some scientists. And you can read the full paper online in the journal Entropy. Wow. So, lots going on. Lots going on in the world. Uh, There's a book out I wanted to touch on uh, that is called AI Superpowers. China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. And... A gentleman, I I don't know who the author is. I'll have to find out who the author is here in a second. Give me one second. And okay, so his name is 
Kai Fu Lee, the author of this book, 2018 nonfiction book entitled AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Kai Fu Lee is an artificial intelligence pioneer, Chinese expert, in, and venture capitalist. He previously held executive positions at Apple, uh, then SGI, Microsoft, and Google, before creating his own company, Cinovation Ventures. According to Kai Fu Li, there is an AI arms race upon us. If data is the new oil, then China is the new Saudi Arabia. Li advances several arguments for why he thinks that AI industry in China will excel in the artificial intelligence arms race. And I played in that uh, previous episode of mine, I think it's actually entitled It's Coming, when those uh, Pentagon officials said that they need funding so that they can participate in this arms race. Uh, it's going to be a competition, yada, yada, etc., etc., uh, if you want to go back and listen to that speech, uh, America is in full pursuit of catching up with and passing China on the AR on the AI arms race front. Will we achieve that goal? Who knows? Um, so some of the things that this book talks about: training deep learning models requires more of a brute force method than innovation. Well suited to China's supposedly higher quantity but lower quality of software engineer compared to the United States. China has fewer data protection regulations, uh, so Chinese software uh, can collect more data from its users. That's a little terrifying. Chinese tech startup culture is more aggressive than that in other countries with fewer intellectual property restrictions and fewer barriers to vertical integration. And the participation of China's central government in funding and raising the status of the AI industry uh, exists. The th here's the threat to employment. Lee proposes that knowledge workers are generally under greater threat of unemployment due to advances in AI, in a similar manner to the effect of the Industrial Revolution on physical laborers. The book includes examples of the most and least threatened jobs, both in the mental and physical labor Markets least threatened cognitive labor jobs include criminal defense attorney, public relations director, concierge, social worker, psychiatrist, and CEO because those jobs are highly social and are based on creativity or strategy. Cognitive, jo cognitive jobs with the greatest threat to being made redundant by AI include basic translators, radiologists, consumer loan officers, consumer tax preppers, telemarketers, customer service reps because those jobs are asocial and optimization-based. Physical jobs at low risk of irrelevance in the AI era include elder caregivers, physical therapists, hairstylists, dog trainers, uh, because these roles are social and require high dexterity. Physical jobs most likely to suffer job losses or extinction include assembly line, fruit harvesters, truck drivers, dishwashers, factory workers, fast food and restaurant cooks and cashiers because those are asocial jobs in, structure, in a structured environment and don't require dexterity. What a brave new world. <laughs> We are living in, people. And here's uh, a gentleman I saw uh, read 
oh, I'm sorry, wrote this little excerpt about this book I wanted to read to you. Here we go. I was ple pleasantly, this is like a book report, I believe. I was pleasantly surprised by this book. I already read several popular artificial intelligence books, and I am a practitioner in applied optimization algorithms. So I half expected this to be another cash grab book in which the author does not have much to say but wrote a book anyway for pecuniary, pecuniary reasons. But to my delight, I was wrong. This is a sober assessment of how artificial intelligence will change the world. Lee does not pretend radiolo radiologists and software engineers will get easily displaced by automation. He recognizes the future will instead shift large-scale calculation tasks, tasks and very repeatable and situation-independent tasks to machines. And humans will instead uh, continue to handle the issues that require judgment, contextualization, compassion, and other human skills. There will still be a lot of boring, monotonous work performed by humans that require dexterity, such as picking strawberries, but there are even serious advances in robotics and computer vision addressing those endeavors as well. Just about all the professions will be transformed, but it will be gradually before it will be suddenly. Lee recognizes the country that leads in AI and related technology, robotics, 5G, sensors, etc., will rule the world. Not just, militarily, not just militarily, but also economically. This can be ominous for everyone if that country chooses to use the AI for thought policing. Hmm. Contrary to some book critics, I think author, the author does not dodge that point, but he does not give it much attention either. Different readers will have very different evaluations of this. So, and then he goes on to say, uh, he goes on to talk about the challenges and risks of internet AI, etc. China clearly is leading the way. Um... He does a good job of explaining how these companies differ from the U.S. counterparts. Uh, Alibaba versus Amazon, WeChat versus Facebook, Diddy versus Uber, etc. All along the way, Lee also makes an interesting point about breakthroughs versus tinkering. Most successful applications of AI will not require major theoretical breakthroughs, meaning major new abstract approaches to framing or solving problems. Uh, most will just require endless tinkering or applying new AI uh, to particular problems and industries in a fit-for-purpose way. So, people, I mean, we are fast-forwarding into the new AI <laughs> surveillance police state era. Are Terminators coming? It's in our nature to destroy ourselves, right? So the author, uh, Lee, Kai-Fu Lee, PhD computer scientist, trained at Carnegie Mellon, longtime applied researcher, turned venture capitalist, already touched on that. He has the wisdom and perspective on the AI that you cannot buy. 
that only grow over time. His background also allows him to give an outsider's perspective on what is happening in both the United States and China, which also gives him more to say. Highly recommended this book for anyone interested in how AI will change the world and in the United States versus China AI race. Boy, that was a mouthful. <laughs> My fellow Americans, the future is crazy. All right, people. Let's continue talking about how crazy the future is going to be. Uh, this is an article about Elon Musk's Neuralink. I'm sure you've heard about this. I've talked about it a few times on the show. I haven't really dived in, dove in. Uh, so let's read this. Musk says, Neuralink hopes to implant first brain chips into humans next year. And let's see. Here we go. Elon Musk, co-founder of the human brain interface technology company Neuralink, has said his company hopes to be implanting computer chips into human patients next year, beginning with spinal cord injury patients. The date, which seems remarkably close for such a sci-fi-esque concept, is actually two years later than previously stated, but Musk hopes to begin human testing in 2022 regardless. The device will supposedly allow patients with no control over their limbs to interface with digital devices with similar technologies, allowing quadriplegics to order shopping, communicate with friends, and browse the web directly with brainwaves. So you can make the argument that this is the beginning of maybe what the ancients thought about uh, telekinesis and being able to move objects with your mind. Uh, Neuralink previously demonstrated a monkey playing a video game using only its brain earlier this year, but Musk has since stated that translating that success into humans has posed a significant challenge. Neuralink's working well in monkeys and we're actually doing just a lot of testing and just confirming that it's very safe and reliable and the Neuralink device can be removed safely, said Musk in an interview at the Wall Street Journal CEO Council Summit, reports Business Insider. We hope to have this in our first humans, which will be people that have severe spinal cord injuries like tetraplegics and quadriplegics next year, pending FDA approval. The chip works by implanting electrodes into the region of the brain that controls voluntary movement, which can connect to a larger array called the link, which can process, stimulate, and transmit neural signals. It is charged via wireless charging from the outside of the head and connects wirelessly to devices that allow the user to control them without traditional touch inputs. Neuralink claims that the electrode system is so fine, human hands cannot implant them, so they are developing a robot system to insert the technology exactly where it needs to be. Hmm. 
I think we have a chance with Neuralink to restore full body functionality to someone who has a spinal cord injury. Meaning I think we have a chance, and I emphasize the word chance, of being able to allow someone who cannot walk or use their arms to be able to walk again or use their arms again naturally. Musk continued, while they might be the loudest, Neuralink are not the only researchers developing a brain interface device. Last April, a device developed by BrainGate allowed a paralyzed man to control a computer with only his mind, and the results were extremely promising. Before that, most electrodes arrays uh, relied on a messy connection of wires to interface with the computer, but both BrainGate and Neuralink will be relying on wireless communication to make the devices more viable to daily life. So there you go, people. We're going to start by helping people use their limbs again, help helping people to use their arms and use their legs. Again, that's step one. And what's the future going to be? You just plug in and you start interfacing with some computer system, just like 19, or not 1984, uh, just like uh, Brave New World. I told you about that series that's on um, uh, Peacock. And that's pretty much what you put this little contact thing in your eye and all of a sudden, boom, you have this whole interface. You kind of have like Terminator vision, like remember in the Terminator where, you know, his, uh, his sight was doing all those calculations really quickly. And, you know, all, all that stuff was foreshadowing, forecasting the coming future. And, you know, sometimes it just makes me think of how, how you know, if, if, there's really, if there's really any truth to the CIA and the intelligence communities being involved with the content that you're seeing in your movies and your TV shows on your mainstream media news networks, uh, on your social media, the computers, etc., I mean, maybe they are fabricating this fictional world. You know, I've talked about the show and the reality. Well, is there such thing as reality? Are we just a simulation? Are we a dream within a dream? Is life just a really long, uh, lucid dream that one day we're going to wake up and we're going to, you know, transfer back to the beyond or the afterlife or the next world or whatever lies behind the curtain, right? And someone's going to be sitting there and they're going to look at you and be like, did you feel it? <laughs> like like when you came into this world, you just took a big bong rip or a DMT hit or something, and then you just hallucinated your entire life. And then when you die, you wake up and your friends are, you're sitting in a room with your friends and they're all looking at you. And they say, did you feel it? <laughs> I know, right? Crazy, trippy, psychedelic thoughts. But that's what these quantum physicists and your Elon Musks and I, I think your Zuckerberg. This, we're, let's we're gonna go talk about metaverse here in a minute. Bill Gates, I think, uh, just said that sooner or later, all of his office or all of his uh, business and meetings and stuff are gonna be uh, occurring in the metaverse. So we're seeing we're seeing right now at this, at this point in history in our lifetimes, the foundation being laid for this future. Virtual world, virtual reality, big tech, um, metaverse. It's like straight out of Black Mirror. Are they still making that show Black Mirror, by the way? All this stuff, the, the coming AI tech world, the future that we've been talking about on the show, 
for a very long time now. It's coming. And it's going to be both terrifying and exciting, I think, like I've said. So crazy stuff. The future is going to be crazy. Here we go. Silicon Valley's metaverse will suck reality into the virtual world and ostracize those who aren't plugged in. Boy. I mean, if that doesn't remind you of The Matrix, coupled with Brave New World, coupled with uh, Black Mirror, and, you know, the Brave New Surveillance Police State, where you're going to constantly be under surveillance, and if you don't like it, you're going to be ostracized if you aren't plugged in, just like they're ostracizing you now if you don't get the vaccine. And who knows? Maybe whatever is in that vaccine is going to help us merge with machines in the metaverse. <laughs> right? Who knows? I don't want to go all conspiracy theory on you, but, I mean, this stuff is crazy, people. And, I, like I said, I'm excited and terrified at the same time. Here we go. The metaverse could usher in a new era where we live more in the digital world than we do in reality, whatever that means. AR glasses will be ubiquitous as they become necessary to shop, work, and live, just like the internet. Experts say that turning point in the metaverse will not be good for humanity. So you got people celebrating it and you got people afraid of it, which is to be expected. And, I mean, this is the beginning of the Matrix right here, in my opinion. I mean... At what point does art imitate life, right? Or is it life that imitates art? Are all of the things that you and I get to see, all the news and information and entertainments that we get to see on our screens, is it all preparing us for this coming world? Who knows? Let's continue. The metaverse has been peddled as a futuristic place where we all, sitting in our living rooms with goggles strapped to our noggins, can interact, buy things, date people, and more in a virtual world. That reminds me, have you guys ever seen Demolition Man? Where uh, Stallone and Sandra Bullock, uh, she asked him if he wants to make love. Hey, would you like to make love? And, you know, he got thawed out of a cryo uh, freeze, uh, you know, 30, 40, whatever, however many years later. So he's still a, a savage Neanderthal. Uh, compared to the people that live in this new world. And, you know, he's getting ready to hook up with Sandra Bullock. And she goes and gets these headsets out of this box, turns them on. She gives him a towel. She puts it on his head. He's like, what the hell's going on? She puts it on her head. And then they, she says, just breathe and close your eyes. And then what happens? Virtual sex happens. <laughs> and here we are, uh, soon to be 2022, and now we're talking about this stuff becoming a reality. I mean, people, I don't know. But what if in addition to being a place, the metaverse also represents something else, a point in time when we live more in the digital world than we do in the physical one? Such a moment is a long-held theory among the augmented reality community, including Louis Rosenberg, a 30-year veteran of AR development development at and the CEO of Unanimous AI. 
the nomenclature aside, i.e. what we actually call this transitional moment, uh, I am absolutely certain that this point in time will come, Rosenberg told the insider. And it will not be good for humanity. And that scares me, people, because remember when Elon Musk has that super dramatic interview where he's just like in his head about, oh God, uh, AI's going to be the end of the human race and... Uh, I just wish it wasn't that way. And he has this like somber, like, you know, seven mile stare where he just like can see, he's just like thinking and seeing the future in that moment. And I mean, this stuff makes me think of the Terminator too. It's like the Matrix and the Terminator are about to happen in real life at the same time. Cyberdyne systems, (laughs) you know, the red pill and the blue pill. Going down the rabbit hole. All I can do is offer you the truth. And you can't ever go back. Once you learn this information, you can never go back to your ignorant ways. You know what I'm saying? This stuff is crazy. It's crazy. Although virtual reality and AR are both key aspects of the metaverse structure. It's AR glasses that will become ubiquitous within 10 years will replace the cell phone as our primary means of interacting with digital content. I mean, boy, wow. Uh, That's the moment when the lines between the real and the digital worlds will blur more than ever before. And people, this is going to, I mean, as soon as they can plug us into the matrix and completely disassociate all p- human beings with the real world the reality of the the owners the decision makers the world planners the big club right i mean william casey former cia cia director said we will know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything that the american people believe is a lie Once you present a virtual object that is indistinguishable from a physical one, that's the last step, Rosenberg said. You might call that the final revolution, where we will all live in a painless concentration camp, but we will rather enjoy it because we will be lulled to sleep by entertainments, media, manipulation, enhanced by pharmacological methods. Fear of missing out will drive people into the shared virtual playland. We've seen points in time like this before, Rosenberg said, like how the printing press revolutionized how we share information or the telephone, how we can communicate across distances. Fast forward to the smartphone age and we use our phones more times than we speak to our spouse. Today, says Vap Vip Jaswal, CEO of Interpersonal Intelligence Advisory, a consulting firm that looks at human behavior across real and digital platforms, told The Insider. The metaverse will similarly usher in a new kind of technology, one that will become necessary to operate in society. This is the new internet, people. The matrix and virtual reality and the metaverse is going to be the new internet will date, work, live, buy and sell things and play virtually, 
Rosenberg said. You'll go to the store and you won't be able to see the price on things if you don't have your AR glasses. So they're going to force you, people. They're going to force you. The brave new Orwellian surveillance, totalitarian police, socialist, communist dictatorship that's coming. Socialism is definitely going to be involved. Things are going to become universal, controlled by the government. They're going to become a dispensation of government. And what have I said about socialism in the past? Socialism is force. And I I think I said in one of the first episodes of this podcast, they're going to force you to play the game. They're going to force you to make decisions you never thought you would have to make in this life. They're going to force you to say the right thing and do the right thing. And if you don't, there's a chance you might just end up in one of Mr. Creedy's black bags if you get the V4 Vendetta reference. Video interview shows Facebook VP explaining how he can't drive his coffee, he can't drink his coffee without lifting his wretched virtual reality headset and making his metaverse avatar stare awkwardly at the ceiling. (laughs) He also likened that moment to the singularity theory in the world that we've been over uh, with uh, Ray Kurzweil, previous podcast. Uh, The singularity theory in the world of AI, which posits that the time could come when AI becomes smarter than humans. But Rosenberg said the metaverse is not the name given to that point in time. Uh, It more so marks it since it's an evolutionary stage where we as a species will seek socialization in this next iteration of the internet With that reality comes what we've been discussing for months, that social media's woes will be amplified in this futuristic virtual world. Polarization, divisiveness, and misinformation will grow tenfold. And the metaverse will fracture reality, experts previously told the insider. Experts agreed that our collective push into the metaverse is worrisome for that very reason, as is the reliance we will have on such a fake landscape. Being in this metaverse will be a bigger part of our lives than being in the outside world, says Rosenberg. And there are all kinds of things that are going to be terrifying about it. And here here's I'm going to continue talking about the metaverse now. That's the end of that article, but I found another article where they're actually talking about what it's going to be like for two people who dated each other in the metaverse, right? Virtual reality Tinder is coming. <laughs> right? And now you're going to get married. What you're going to fall, you're going to meet someone, you're going to go through your honey uh honeymoon phase. You're going to start, I don't know, living together, cohabitating. And then you're going to get married. Or maybe you're going to get married first. You'll probably get married first in the metaverse. Because it'll be a big hoopla, fun, exciting adventure, right? And then who knows how long that'll last. (laughs) Once you start living together and you start to really get to know somebody. (laughs) 
But here we go. Let's take a read through this. Getting married in the metaverse. One couple's recent nuptials in the virtual world, known as the metaverse, showcased the possibilities of having a wedding unfettered by the bounds of reality. Oh, wow. We're going to get married as virtual avatars. For their wedding in the metaverse, Dave and Tracy Gagnon had avatars created that were based on personal photos and the clothes they wore to their in-person ceremony. Tracy and Dave met in the cloud, so it only made sense that their wedding took place in it as well. On Labor Day weekend, the couple, or rather their digital avatars, held a ceremony staged by Verbella, a company that builds virtual environments for work, learning, and events. Ms. Gagnon's avatar was walked down the aisle by the avatar of her close friend. Mr. Gagnon's avatar walked, watched as his buddy's avatar ambled up to the stage and delivered a toast. And seven-year-old twin avatars, the ring bearer and flower girl, danced at the reception. How the immersive virtual world known as the metaverse, which few of us understand, <laughs> and probably never will, will change the traditional wedding uh, at this moment, in it, it, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let me read that again. How the immersive virtual world known as the metaverse will change the traditional wedding is at this moment anyone's guess. But the possibilities of having an event unfettered by the bounds of reality are interesting enough to consider because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Ah, oh, here we go. This is how it all ties together. Hey, you don't, why leave your house and go sick? Go, go get sick out in society. Just stay at home in your virtual reality plugged into the matrix world. Just go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Sorry, I just had to brief aside that because and then, oh, and then you know what? Climate change, weather's going to get crazy. You probably got to stay home. Why would you go outside? You can catch diseases outside. There's crazy people shooting up everybody with guns outside. The weather's crazy. The tornadoes and the hurricanes and the earthquakes might come and get you. Hobgoblin, hobgoblin. Fear, fear, fear. Just pump it into your brains. All oh, the real world is so crazy and scary. Here, just take this pill and plug in. That's the future, my fellow Americans. Okay, here we go. I will continue. Now that I had a mental stream of conscious uh, conspiracy-minded brain fart right there. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, technology is already being incorporated into ceremonies more than ever. Zoom weddings have taken place in, and some in-person ceremonies now feature a live stream component for guests who cannot be there. Last year, a couple whose wedding was canceled because of the pandemic staged a non-legal ceremony within Animal Crossing, a popular video game. <laughs> like a ceremony within a video game, though, it is important to note that any wedding that occurs solely in the metaverse are currently not legal. So now we're going to legalize virtual fictional reality, people. Pfft. We might have to amend that constitution here and there <laughs> moving forward, don't you think? 
Uh, even virtual weddings by video conference, which many states allowed during the height of the pandemic shutdowns, have since been outlawed in the New York State. Uh, in New York State and elsewhere. Still, the metaverse will take the virtual celebrations much, much further, experts say, and offer almost boundless possibilities to couples. So, see, both, it's simultaneously exciting and terrifying to me at the same time. It's a brave new world out there, people. There's no limitations, said Sandy Hammer, a founder of All Seated, which creates digital planning tools for weddings. The company is investing in the metaverse by creating virtual versions of real-world event spaces like the Plaza Hotel in New York. If you really want to do something different in the metaverse, you might as well let your creativity go wild. Think guest lists that number in the thousands, gift registries that feature NFTs or non-fungible tokens, uh, maybe even destination weddings in space. They're going to take their friends on a space rocket. Ms. Hammer said, adding that she envisions wedding parties globetrotting virtually. A bride can transport her guests into the metaverse. I want my morning session to be in Italy, my evening session to be in Paris, etc. Oh boy, this is crazy. Uh, here's another little part. Natalie Cadet James, a wedding planner and designer based in Miami, is approaching the metaverse with a beginner's mind of excitement and trying to anticipate how her role will change. I think my role might be more like a producer or film director, she says. I could create a set that I've enhanced. Flowers might come out of the ground as they're walking into the space. I would add whimsy and fantasy to it because we could. Why are we going to do all this, people? Because we can. <laughs> and just because you can do something, does that necessarily mean that you should? Of course, this would require the skills of a software engineer, a role not in any typical wedding budget at the moment. Boy, I tell you what, people, if you have children, here's what you do. They ask you, hey, what should I do when I grow up? My advice, if I had a child, which I don't, but if I had a child, I would say learn computers. Learn computer software, learn uh, UX, uh, learn cloud environments, cloud computing, dive in. Dive into IT, the IT world on either side because I'm sure the future is looking bright for those people. The Gagnons had a hybrid wedding of sorts. The couple were married in person September 4th at, at Atkinson Resort and Country Club in New Hampshire, where they live in a ceremony officiated by some guy, friend and colleague of theirs, ordained in the Universal Life Church while simultaneously hosting a virtual ceremony on Verbella. They live stream their nuptials for those who cannot be there in person. Guests of the virtual ceremony attended via computer, which required downloading software and then creating an avatar. I mean, I'm just kind of scrolling through, looking at some of the pictures of this wedding right now. You you people uh, can't see it, obviously, but it really, you know what it looks like? It looks like The Sims. Have you guys ever played The Sims? Uh, that's what this first iteration of the metaverse looks like to me. So we're all going to live in Sims world is the future. Probably temporarily. I'll probably get 
better exponentially. Um, okay, you guys bored by this story? Let's continue just a little bit here. Uh, before the couple met in person, their avatars met at a company event in Las Vegas. And when they announced their engagement in 2019, their co-workers offered to remake Verbella's Cloud Campus into a wedding venue free of charge. Uh, Ms. Gagnon est- estimated that it would cost it would have cost 30 grand had they paid for it. Uh, representatives for v- Verbella declined to disclose the price that they charged for this event. The Gagnon sent pictures of themselves and the wedding decor to Verbella's events team and software engineers, who incorporated personalized details like bird of paradise flowers and images of their in-person venue into the virtual ceremony. They were able to take my wedding dress and customize it, take a little flower halo and put it on my hair, etc. Patrick Perry, the director of event sales and partnerships for Verbella, said the cost of holding an event in the metaverse depends on what you want. And if there's an engineer building out in MGM ballroom or something of that nature that's required, then the cost goes up, obviously ranging from a few thousand dollars to well over 10K. But Mr. Perry said that as the metaverse gets built, there's going to be more plug-and-play assets. Wedding couples will be able to select from pre-designed venues, flowers, etc. People, it's the Matrix. The Matrix is here. The Matrix is coming very, very soon. Verbella was designed to be an immersive platform for organizations to host events and build a sense of community in the metaverse. So we're going to build our sense of community virtually, people, because we're no longer going to be able to develop our sense of community in actual reality. (laughs) Oh, I think I better sit down. But users have asked the company to host graduations, bar mitzvahs, weddings, and other celebrations. Lately, Mr. Perry said Verbella has started to explore the wedding market. Uh, Ms. Hammer said that All Seated has not yet worked with a couple interested in having a wedding that only takes place in the metaverse. In addition to the legality of such a ceremony, hybrid event like the Gagnons is much more in demand and realistic, she said, because couples want both in-person and virtual experiences. And let's see how long that lasts. Ms. Gagnon, who hired two videographers, one to capture the in-person event and another to simulcast the ceremony to the cloud, the whole point of the metaverse element was the connection it offered. So it'll be good for people with pre-existing health conditions or people that can't travel long distances but still want to be present at an event. Uh, You become a kind of idolized version of yourself. You can become somebody else. So if you hate yourself in the metaverse, you can become somebody else, people. (laughs) This is going to be a different level of connection. The metaverse bride had other benefits. Being a metaverse bride had other benefits, too. I'm always a size four. Even in January, Ms. Gagnon said laughing, and I never had a bad hair day in the metaverse. Oh, boy. Okay, so that's enough about Neuralink and the metaverse. You know, Terminators are coming. The Matrix is coming. You know, when does conspiracy theory become conspiracy fact? When does theory become action? You know, Plato's allegory of the cave. My fellow Americans, 
how do you know that what you are seeing and what you're experiencing in your life is real? Or is it fantasy? <laughs> Caught in a landslide, oh, escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. Okay, I'm not going to sing the whole song for you, but you know what I'm saying, people? It's crazy. And before I move on and play some punk rock and get off this topic for the day, take a listen to this shit. Okay, so uh, real quick, so there's, uh, I forgot to tell you guys this. There's like three of my previous podcasts that are gone forever and are never coming back. One of them was the one I did on debunking Borat on that uh, Amazon Prime series where um, Sasha Baron Cohen actually went uh, on uh, undercover, I guess you could say, in character and lived with these uh, QAnon conspiracy theorists and I tore it to pieces in the episode, but I can't play it ever again because I literally ripped the entire show and played the entire show for you and if uh i continue to have that posted up on my site that is a clear violation of fair use law and i could be sued so you guys will never hear that podcast ever again if you guys did hear that podcast congratulations you're part of a select few and uh it's gone away forever so but anyway in that show the they these guys make a claim where they're like, oh, are there nanobots and the vaccines? And then they have that, um, I forget what she does for a living, but she's supposed to be the person that's the voice of reason that debunks these guys' crazy claims. And she says that, you know, why, why would we need nanobots and vaccines to track you when your phone already tracks you? And, uh... It, you know, we can't even make nanobots that small to fit into a syringe that goes into the bloodstream. So you guys are just cookie-wacky conspiracy theorists, right? Oh, it can never fucking happen, right? Oh, yeah? Okay. We'll take a listen to this. World's first living robots can now reproduce, scientists say. This article is by Emily Crane, November 30th, 2021. Robot, robots that can reproduce. The world's first living robots known as Xenobots can now reproduce, U.S. scientists have revealed. Details about the robots created using the heart and skin stem cells from the African clawed frog were unveiled last year after experiments showed they could move and self-heal. Now the scientists at Tufts University, the University of Vermont and Harvard, who made the Xenobots say the tiny blobs can also self-replicate. The results of the new research were published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences on Monday. Experiments showed that the organisms can swim out into their dish, find other single cells, and assemble baby xenobots. So not only can they probably course through your veins, people, they can reproduce. So, dear lady that was supposed to be the smart voice of reason female on the On Debunking Borat series on Amazon Prime, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> You're stupid. 
You don't know what you're talking about because clearly there are nanobots, xenobots that exist in reality. I'm sorry to tell you, young lady, but you're wrong. Someone call Sasha Baron Cohen and have him change that episode because it's bullshit, okay? Experiments showed that the organisms can swim out into the dish, find other cells, and assemble baby xenobots. A few days later, the babies became new xenobots that look and move just like the initial creation. People, we are playing God. CRISPR DNA mutation, DNA, um, the ability to alter and, you know, mapping the genome. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, ancient alien theory, the, the more time marches on, my fellow Americans, I feel like ancient alien theory and the fact that we have been, we may have been seeded uh, on this planet by beings from the distant remote past, be them uh, extraterrestrials from another world, be them humans from another world that learned in the future how to literally create life and play God and now they can go out into uh, space and travel around and look for new planets to bring new life forms to, right? Sounds like, you know, a TV show on the sci-fi channel, people, but this is now becoming real life. The future is crazy. The new xenobots can then go out and even self-replicate yet again, say the scientists. Xenobots, which are less than a millimeter wide, less than a millimeter wide, are designed in a computer, on a computer, and hand-assembled. Wow, hand-assembled. The scientists said they were stunned to learn the tiny blobs could spontaneously replicate. People have thought for quite a long time that we've worked out all of the ways that life can reproduce or replicate. But this is something that's never been observed or discovered before, said Douglas Blackiston, uh, who worked on this study. The organisms can swim out into the dish. I already been over that. This is a profound discovery, added Michael Levine, co-leader of the research. These cells have the genome of a frog, but freed from, I'm sorry, but freed, but freed from becoming tadpoles, they use their collective intelligence, a plasticity, to do something astounding. The team said the new research could be beneficial for advancements in regenerative medicine. If we knew how to tell collections of cells to do what we wanted them to do, ultimately that's regenerative medicine. That's the solution, that's the solution to traumatic injuries, brain injuries, birth defects, cancer, and aging. All of these different problems are here because we don't know how to predict and control what groups of cells are going to build, like cancerous cells. Xenobots are a new platform for teaching us. And that's the end of that article, my fellow Americans. The future is gonna be nuts, bananas, crazy. <laughs> All right, enough reading about the crazy future to you people. Let's have some fun. Let's rock out and play some punk rock.
Alright people, it's time for some punk rock. Once again here on the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. And today I'm going to play you guys a track by the band Reckless Threat. And I have been talking to their drummer, Mike, uh, on the social medias. And he said that uh, I could play one of their tracks. So thank you guys for uh, letting me... uh, Play the first song on your most recent album, The Heartbreak Kids, that was released in April of 2021. And the first song on this, uh, on their record, The Heartbreak Kids by Reckless Threat, is a song called I'm Still Dreaming. And I had, I loved, first of all, I loved the song, and I had to play it uh, to theme up uh, quite nicely with the show today because uh, this episode and last episode I was talking about, you know, are we awake in a reality or are we awake in a dream? Is this fantasy? Is this reality? You know, I talked about that movie Waking Life. He couldn't tell if he was walking around in society having uh, intelligent conversations with people. And then he'd look at his clock and his clock was... You know, he, he had a hard time making out the numbers. And then he there's this part of the movie where he's like, and light switches are really tough. You know, you flick, flick a light switch and uh, the light uh, level doesn't change. You know you're dreaming. <laughs> but anyway, so I wanted to play this song uh, called I'm Still Dreaming by the band Reckless Threat from Knoxville, Tennessee. Here we go, making their debut on the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Here is the band Reckless Threat with their song, I'm Still Dreaming.
Alright people, that was the song I'm Still Dreaming by the band Reckless Threat. I like that song. It reminds me of like some strung out, like solitaire kind of vibes. Um, my style of punk rock. I love it. Good stuff. Thanks guys for uh, letting us play one of your tracks on the show. And if you're a punk rock band out there and you want me to play one of your songs on the show... Uh, send me a bio, send me some lyrics, send me whatever you want me to talk about. I'll plug you guys here on the show. We gotta try to keep punk rock alive. It's never been under more threat probably ever in American history than it is right now. Because of the direction that this country and the world are going. Send me an email. Andrew4America1984 at gmail.com Send me your stuff if you're a punk band. Send me your favorite critiques of my show. Uh, send things, uh, you know, recommendations, stuff I should maybe talk about and create some more content out of for you good, fine people, for you very fine, good people that are fans and listeners of my show. I love you guys. Uh, go to the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com, buy a t-shirt or listen to the show. Go check out the Peddling Fiction Podcast. Um, I think that's it, people. I love you guys. Thank you. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been Episode 74 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Entitled, The Future is Crazy. We'll see you next time.